Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. You did well in all those songs, but y'all just had a little more fun on that one, didn't you? There's nothing wrong with worship being fun. It should be, right? It shouldn't be boring. And that was encouraging. I'm going to ask if you would turn your copy of Scripture to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to read from uh, that text of Scripture here in just a few moments. We're going to think about this theme today, God meets us at Christmas. And uh, many of you have, have had meetings, all of us have had meetings in life, and, and some of us have had those meetings where we show up on time, but that particular person that we're meeting with makes us wait. You ever been in one of those settings? And sometimes that's a power play, right? Someone is intending to show you who's in charge because they make you wait. Now, sometimes it's just because that person you're meeting with is incredibly busy. They're not trying to make any kind of power statement at all. I remember being a college student at North Greenville University, and we would get to class on time. We'd sit in class, and our professor would not be there. We had this kind of internal rule. Any professor gets 10 minutes, but if you have a doctorate, you get 15 minutes. After that, we're gone. We're not staying any longer waiting on that particular professor to show up to class. Maybe you've had similar experiences in your life. I just want to remind you of something. God is not sitting in a heavenly boardroom or an office waiting on us to make an appointment to meet with Him. God came down to meet with us. He's the one with all the power. He's the one with all the glory. He's the one with all the authority. He's the one who is rightfully, it can rightfully make all the demands. And yet, he's the one who initiated the meeting with us. And Hebrews 2 tells us about that. Uh, all about that. Read with me, if you will, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution... How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. That somewhere, by the way, is Psalm 8, if you'd like to read all of it later. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that... You care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, 
that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Three ways that Jesus met with us uh, at the Incarnation or at Christmas. First, uh, Jesus met us with the message of salvation. He meets us to tell us about what this salvation is that he offers for us. Verses 1 through 4 are, are the first warning passage to be found in the book of Hebrews. There are several warning passages. There are several passages that deal with the issue of falling away. Falling away from faith or falling away from following God. And in due course, we're going to take a particular sermon, a specific sermon in this series through Hebrews, and we're going to look at all of those falling away passages, those warning passages together and try to make sense of what the writer is telling us. So I'm not going to spend a ton of detail here uh, in, this, in this first statement other than to, to, to kind of unpack it for what it means in terms of Jesus meeting us. He tells us that the The message of the Old Testament mediated by angels was reliable. That should encourage us. If the writer of the book of Hebrews, inspired scripture, is telling us that the Old Testament writings are reliable, then then that's good news for us, right? It's good news that the scripture is reliable, something we can count on. But if the Old Testament writings were reliable, and those who heard the Old Testament message, when they neglected it, and boy did they ever, That's the whole Old Testament. The people of Israel heard the word of God. They had the sacrificial system. They had the law. They had the prophets. They had the kingship. They had all these opportunities to do right. And what did they do? Over and over and over again, they rejected God's rule in their life, in their lives. And they experienced retribution and justice. So if God punishes because of neglecting the Old Testament message, the writer rightly asks, how will we escape if we neglect The New Testament message, the message of salvation that's been delivered to us in these days. It's a warning, it's a reminder, folks, that you and I have an obligation to not only hear the message of the gospel, but heed the message of the gospel. The text talks about drifting away, that we need to pay attention to what the Bible says because we are in danger of drifting out of a right relationship with God. And folks, drifting doesn't come overnight. It's not one of those things that happens immediately. I know of very few Christians who woke up one morning and just said, I don't believe in any of this that that I've heard and that I've responded to. There's some. Most of the time, drifting takes place like this. It's hard to get up one Sunday morning. And and, and decide I'm not going to go to church because I'm tired, too much going on this week. So I just don't go this week. And because it was easy, because it was, you know, I went, didn't go last week. It's easier not to go this week. And then it's easier not to go the next week. And pretty soon, not only are we not gathering with the, group, the assembly of God's people, the congregation of God's people, and singing scripture and praising God and opening God's word on a regular basis, hearing what God says to us, we're not paying attention to what has been said, we begin to drift away. And then it becomes really easy not to read the Bible and really easy not to believe what scripture says. And then someone comes along with some alternative, alternative idea. Maybe it's a different worldview. Maybe it's just some kind of misconception about scripture and guess what pretty soon 
Or over a period of months and years, maybe we have someone who sort of was a Christian, but they've drifted and wandered away. And Hebrews warns us against that and warns us desperately against that. In fact, the language in the book of Hebrews about falling away and and, and drifting away is harsher than probably any other New Testament book. Like I said, we'll unpack it in due course. I just want to tell you that we should be warned because if this message is a message of grace to us, it's also a warning to us who might hear with our ears but reject with our hearts. And this message is a message that Jesus declared. Notice what it says the last part of verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What salvation? The message of salvation that was declared at first by the Lord. You know who first preached the gospel? Not Peter. Not Paul. Jesus was the first one to declare the gospel. By the way, that is tremendously good news for us. I'm going to invite you today to meet Jesus. Our whole text, our sermon is about meeting Jesus. We need to meet Jesus. But you might ask, well, how in the world can I meet Jesus if Jesus is not here physically? I mean, wouldn't it be easier for my faith if I was there when Jesus stilled the storm? Wouldn't it be easier for my faith if I was there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter? Wouldn't it be easier for my faith if if I was there when Jesus was risen from the dead? It might be. But a lot of people saw some of those things and still didn't completely follow Jesus in those days. I want to encourage you, it was declared by the Lord means that it is a message that can be shared. It is just as believable 2,000 years later, removed from the physical flesh and blood Jesus in front of us. It is just as viable for us to hear the message of salvation And respond by following Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is present with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So he is here. He's ready to meet you. But he's ready to meet us through the mediation of Scripture. That he first declared. That the apostles then came alongside and affirmed by what they witnessed and what they said. And the text then tells us that God affirmed what Jesus had said and what the apostles had said by the miracles. So this is a message of salvation that Jesus came to meet us with. He meets us with this message of salvation in order to help us know that there's a God who loves us and offers us eternal salvation. Jesus meets us with a message of salvation. He also meets us where we are. Not where we need to be, not where we should be, but he meets us where we find ourselves. The next part of the text takes us to Psalm chapter 8, where it's a psalm of praise and adoration of God being the creator. It's a psalm that reflects the glory of humanity. Humans were made, for a little while, lower than the angels. Originally, they were supposed to have a significant role and responsibility over the angels. If we, we're not going to do a full study of angelology, but angels are servants. They're mediators of God's expectation. They, they praise God in heaven. They praise God in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. They serve God's purposes to minister to people. They're immortal beings. They're glorious beings, but they're servants. Mankind was made to rule. We were designed to be co-regents with God. Genesis 1, the first command is to, it's that we would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Govern the earth, rule over the earth. That's why in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, the elders who represent all of, those, all of the Christians all over the world ever, forever, those, those 24 elders, they're sitting on what in Revelation 4 and 5? They're sitting on thrones. 
Listen, there's going to come a day when God is going to take his people who follow him and use us in co-regent roles to rule over what God has made. Angels don't get that. Angels aren't made in God's image. They're immortal. They're glorious beings. But for a while, humanity has been made a little lower than the angels. Here's the reality, though. We're not there today. Look at the last part of Psalm 8, or verse 8, rather. Everything, putting everything in subjection under his feet. That's talking about everything in the world will be under the subjection of the feet of men. Mankind, whom God has made. That's what it says. But verse, the the last part of that says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. But at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Listen, we're not ruling well. You look around our world. The people that are in charge, God bless us, right? You know, it, it feels like things are in chaos, either in our country or in other countries, and it doesn't matter which political party's in place. It, it, they, they, they all make decisions and make statements that we're sitting there thinking, my goodness, this is who we're following? And, and we live in a good country. We live in a country with laws and freedoms and, and frameworks and live in other countries where that's not the case. I mean, I don't want to live in China. I don't want to live in places where it's terrible. We are not good in charge because we are full of sin and wickedness and depravity. We live in a fallen and a broken world. But I think it's beautiful and something we need to be reminded of. Jesus did not come to people where they should be, he came to people where they are. We find ourselves in a fallen situation, a fallen world, broken circumstances, wickedness and depravity, and that's exactly how Jesus came to us. Look at verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, that's Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. That's right. The Jesus in the, in the, in the manger was still king, he was still ruler, he was crowned, is crowned with glory and honor, but notice why. Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered. Notice where Jesus met us. Jesus does not meet us at the place where we are best. Jesus meets us at the place where we are worst. Jesus meets us at the place where Sadness brings about lack of faith. Jesus meets us at the place where our suffering and our difficulties and our problems keep us from following God faithfully. That's where Jesus meets us. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, Jesus being the creator, spoke everything into existence, it was fitting that In bringing many sons to glory, that is bringing us into the family of God. We're going to talk about God meets us uh, at Christmas and he brings us into a family, a relationship with himself, and a a house, and a home. He makes all that take place. That's what we're going to look at next week. It's a beautiful picture, imagery of what God does bringing us in the family. But in bringing us into a family of God, that he should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. In other words... Jesus, God in in human flesh, God incarnate, had to be made perfect. Now, how did he have to be made perfect? Jesus is perfect. He is perfect through and through in his motives and his behaviors, inside and outside. He never needed anything else to be perfect before God. How did he have to be made perfect? 
had to be made perfect through suffering because he came to be a representative. In other words, the, the, the imagery there is that Jesus stepped in our place and being made perfect in suffering, being made per- he's the founder of our salvation made perfect through suffering. The, the imagery there, founder, would be a, a word that would make sense would be the word pioneer. He is the trailblazer, the pioneer of our salvation made perfect through suffering. Uh, now, Jesus did not need to be saved. He's not the first one who got saved by God. He never needed God's salvation because he's absolutely perfect. He showed the way, right? The book of Hebrews goes to great length telling us this. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than the priesthood. He is greater than the law. He's greater than the Old Testament because he's the fulfillment of all of those. He did what no one else could do. He kept the law. He did what no one else could do. He became the sacrifice for us. Jesus is perfect. So he is the founder of our salvation, meaning that he did everything God wanted him to do. He did everything rightly. And it's not like he, he did that and then he says to us, okay, come behind me and follow my example. He does tell us to do that, but our salvation doesn't come through following the example of Jesus. Our salvation comes because he suffered on our behalf. He's the founder of our salvation who then took his perfection. And notice what the text says. He suffered in perfection for you and for me. This is a beautiful affirmation of exactly what God does to bring us to salvation. Our salvation would not be possible if Jesus didn't suffer on our behalf. And he met us at a beautiful Glorious place. Notice this. Mike Mason describes it this way. He says, In Jesus, the centerpiece of the human race, the wild tangent of all the frayed and decrepit flesh of this fallen world touches perfectly the circle of eternity. Where does Jesus meet us? How does Jesus bring us into family and fellowship with him? How does Jesus meet us? He meets us where we are. Some of you have walked into this room today afraid. You know where Jesus meets you? He meets you at your fear. Some of you have walked into worship service today in a place of suffering, physical suffering, emotional suffering, mental anguish, psychological anguish and suffering. You know where Jesus meets you? He meets you at the place where you are, at the place of suffering. He doesn't say to us, hey, you got to get this part of your life better before you can come to me. No, he says, I came and I suffered so that you will know I am meeting you right where You are. Folks, that is a tremendously encouraging truth. Jesus meets us where we are. Thirdly, Jesus meets us in order to defeat our enemies. Notice what the text goes on to say. Verse 11, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Say, Jesus isn't ashamed to call you his family. I know some of you this Christmas season will be around some family members. And, and if, if, if you had your choice, you might not call them brother or sister. Okay? We all got the black sheep in and around our relational family. I just want to tell you, we don't deserve to be a part of God's family. There are people in your families you're ashamed of. God forbid if anybody in your family is ashamed of you. Maybe it's the case. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. I'll tell you, that, that in and of itself, that could be an entire sermon. 
That's encouraging. Jesus is not ashamed to call his family. And on top of that, he gathers with his family in the congregation. Notice this. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. I referenced this a couple of weeks back when we were in our worship series talking about God singing. And in my devotions today, I read through Zephaniah 3 again where God sings over us. And then it's not, it's not coincidental that I would read that on the day that I would be preaching about Jesus singing. And let me just remind you, one of the reasons we sing and praise and acknowledge and testify in song is because Jesus is. You want to be close to Jesus? then sing the same praises to the Father that, the Je- that Jesus himself is singing. The Spirit of Jesus working in us. And you say, well, Pastor, I missed my chance. We already had all our music for today. No, we didn't. We've got a couple of other songs we're going to sing as we close up. An invitation song that's absolutely beautiful and, and affirming of the gospel. Jesus is inviting us to sing and praise along with him. And then we get to our memory verse for, for this uh, month. Hebrews 2.14, since therefore the children share in flesh, and so Jesus meets us to defeat our enemies. Here's where that comes from. The children share in flesh and blood, and that word share is the Greek word koinonia. It means that you and I, in our human nature, we share, we have a shared experience, flesh and blood. Our, our bodies are going to grow old, and, and they're going to stop working, and we're going to die. That is, that is part of our nature. That is who we are. We share flesh and blood. But notice this. He himself likewise partook. The word partook is not the same word as share. Jesus doesn't share our flesh and blood. The word partake is to take on something that is outside of one's nature. So just know this. Jesus has always been, the second person of the Trinity, has existed since before the world began. But he is God, meaning that he did not, from all time and eternity, have flesh and blood. Okay? He was not a being and a body that would be decrepit and get old and die. That's not who Jesus is. But Jesus took on what was not his by nature. So we share in flesh and blood, we're going to live and we're going to die. But Jesus took on something that wasn't his nature. He took on flesh and blood. He humbled himself to become a baby that would grow up and that would die on a cross, that would be raised again to life. He took on flesh and blood. Why did he do that? Why would Jesus give himself, take on and make a part of his nature flesh and blood? Why would he do that? So that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus became flesh. Jesus came as God incarnate. Jesus came to defeat our enemies. Listen, the story of Christmas is a wonderful story, and we think about Jesus being born. But you know why he was born? He was born to die. He wasn't born just to be a baby in a manger. He wasn't born to be just a great teacher. He wasn't born to do wonderful miracles, although he did all of those things. He was born to die on a cross. He took on flesh and blood so that his death for us might defeat our enemies. The devil, death, and fear. If you can think of any worse enemy than those things, then all of those are underneath God's authority as well. Notice what verse 15 says. He... To defeat us from the, defeat the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. Jesus himself came to defeat death, to defeat the devil, to defeat our sin, and to defeat the fear of those things. 
Some of us find ourselves paralyzed by fears. Fears of what might happen, what could be. Some of us, they're fears of what are. The things we have experienced, the things that keep coming back into our minds. Some of us are the fears of death. It's a tremendous fear in our world today. Fearing what might take place. Some of us fear because we've watched someone else walk through death. And a death that was, uh, that, that, that was full of suffering and difficulty and pain and challenge. But Jesus came so that we don't have to be afraid of death. Why is that? Because as followers of Christ, death has already lost. Jesus has already won. And so even if your entrance into eternity is through a difficult circumstance that would lead you to death, you don't have to be afraid of death because when you die, you're going to be in the presence of the one who is perfectly righteous. Nothing about this physical flesh is going to remain. This sinful, wicked flesh is going to remain and you'll be in the very presence of God. That's the promise that God gives us. It's a promise that we don't have to be afraid of death. And it changes who we are. It should change who we are. John Piper puts it this way. Regarding this verse, he says, So we are free from the fear of death. God has justified us. Satan cannot overturn that decree. And God means for our ultimate safety to have an immediate effect on our lives. God wants for you and for me to know that I don't have to be afraid of anything in the world because if I don't have to be afraid of death and if I don't have to be afraid of the devil, there's nothing more powerful than death and the devil. If I don't have to be afraid of those things, I don't have to be afraid of anything because fear is a killer of joy. It's a killer of faith. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of peace. It's a killer of all those things that we long for and long long to experience at Christmas. Piper continues, He means for the happy ending, that is, God means for the happy ending, to take away the slavery and the fear of the now. If we do not need to fear our last and greatest enemy, death, then we do not need to fear anything. We can be free. Folks, we can be free for joy. We can be free for others. What a great Christmas present from God to us and from us to the world. Tell you something. God intends for us as his people... To be the people in the world that make the world different because we're full of joy. The reason we shouldn't be grumps and grinches isn't because Christmas itself and the trees and the colors and the presents ought to make us smile. It's okay if they do. The reason we shouldn't be grumps and grinches, the reason we as Christians ought to have joy is because we ought not be afraid. Because our God has taken away fear of the devil, fear of death, fear of sin. He's taken away all of that. And he's opened up our hearts and lives for joy. He wants us to be the kind of joyful people that make a difference to those around them. That's the intention of the book of Hebrews. God wants to change us from within so that we live out our faith so that others will see that there's something different about that group of people. Why is that? Because of what Jesus went on to do. Verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiations for the sins of the people. In other words, Jesus took the wrath of God. That word propitiation means he took God's wrath. He paid for our sins on the cross. So that we might be God's people. 
Folks, that's the glory of Christmas. It's not just that Jesus came. It's not just that he was born, but that he was born so that he would die and take away your fear of death. Go back to verse 3. We know that God has offered us a message of salvation. We know that God through Jesus has met us where we are. We know that God through Jesus has defeated our enemies on the cross. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? But how can we believe in something so fantastic as the incarnation? That Jesus would come in human flesh. The great radio personality, Paul Harvey, told this story years ago. He said there was this particular gentleman who who didn't believe in Jesus and didn't believe in Christianity, primarily because he couldn't get over the story of the Incarnation. He just couldn't imagine that God would take on human flesh. He didn't see how that was possible and didn't see how that was believable. And on Christmas Eve, uh, his family was going to the Christmas Eve service at their church. And he said, I can't go. I'm not going to go because I don't want to be a hypocrite because I don't believe in the Incarnation. And I'm just not going to do that. So y'all go. I'll wait up till you get back. I'll stay here. So while he was there at home and they were celebrating their Christmas Eve service, uh, he was washing some dishes and looking outside and he saw a, a, a snowstorm that just kind of came up and came up very quickly and, and very powerfully. It wasn't too long after that that he started hearing some thudding against the house. And he thought maybe somebody was throwing snowballs. But as he looked at the bay window... Uh, In one of the rooms in his house, he saw that there were birds that were flying into that bay window trying to get out of the snowstorm. This this man, he was a nice guy who longed for things to be right but didn't believe in the incarnation. He he decided he was going to try to help those birds and make sure that they were rescued from the snowstorm. He remembered the barn that they had on their property, and so he put his galoshes on, all his snow gear on. He went outside, he opened the barn door, turned the light on, uh, hoping that the birds would get the get the, the invitation, and would go into the barn. They didn't fly into the barn. So he thought, well, maybe I can attract them into the barn. So he went back inside and he got some bread and other things that birds might eat, and he made a trail from where the house was, where the birds were, to where the barn was, hoping that the birds would be enticed to go into the barn. That didn't seem to work either. So then he decided to shoo them into the barn. And so he started flapping his arms and, and pushing the birds. Any, anybody ever tried to shoo a bird? We tried to shoo a bird out of our garage one time. And, and it doesn't work. Birds don't get an idea that, you know, a broom means that, that we want you to fly out. It just didn't work. Finally, the bird flew out of our garage, but only on its own. So he tried to shoo those birds into the, into the barn. And he realized that all he was doing was making them afraid. In his mind, he thought, if I could only become a bird, I could communicate with those birds and let them know there's a place of safety and rescue. About that moment, he heard the bells reflecting the end of the Christmas Eve worship service, and he hit his knees realizing that that's exactly what happened at the Incarnation. God came in human flesh so he could tell us there's a way to be saved. God came in human flesh so he could meet us where we are. God came in human flesh so he could defeat the enemies that will keep us from eternal life. If you're here today and you haven't yet followed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
or maybe you're drifting, you've been drifting, I would just invite you not to neglect such a great offer of salvation. Would you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Would you become a follower of his? Would you let him have your life and be Lord and leader so that he can deal with your enemies? Would you trust him to be your savior? Love to talk to you at the invitation or after the worship service if you know you need a relationship with the God who came in human flesh. Christian, let me encourage you. Jesus came where you are. All of us have brought stuff in our worship service today. Fears and frustrations and doubts and situations. I just want you to know that Jesus is not unaware of those. He came in the midst of all of those to defeat those. To give you hope and peace and joy. May we be encouraged that Jesus came to us where we are. And may we this Christmas season celebrate Jesus for who he is. Stand with me if you will. Gracious Father. We need hope. We need peace. We need to be freed from fear. Lord, all too often we try to get at those things that we need our own way. Too many times we ignore the only way that we're going to get at those things, which is the gospel of your son Jesus and the Lord Jesus who came to be our Savior. And When we ignore those truths in Scripture, we tend to drift away from maybe a gospel we've heard. We tend to be far from you. Father, I know there are some in the room who are in that condition. They, they need you. They need you today. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help them as they've heard the message. I pray that you would work in their hearts and lives and draw them to a faith relationship with you. Redeem them from their sins and from their fears and from their enemies and bring them to salvation. Father, I know there are some in the room today that do fear. Fear death, fear circumstances, fear things that might happen. I pray, Heavenly Father, that through what you've taught us in your word and the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that you would help us to replace those fears with joy. A joy that would permeate the way we interact with one another. A joy that would show the world around us that we're different, not because we're any better than anybody else, but because of what you've done on the inside to change us and make us like you. Pray, Lord, that that would take place in our hearts and lives. And I pray, Lord, that as we testify in song, as we close out our worship service, that you'd be praised. And, Lord, that we'd realize you're singing along with us, testifying to your Father in heaven who sent you to be our Savior. Lord God, be glorified in us this day, moving our hearts and lives in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.